So uh, today is week two of our series, Strange Things from Golgotha to Pentecost. And today our focus is the event that we actually celebrated a couple of Sundays ago, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At some point in the early morning hours, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea was occupied by the lifeless body of Jesus of Nazareth. But by the time the two Marys arrived at the tomb one Sunday morning, the stone was rolled away from the entrance of the tomb, and the tomb was empty. Shortly thereafter, Jesus met the two Marys as they ran to tell the disciples what they had seen. And so within a very short period of time, these two ladies had discovered where, the, where Jesus had been buried was now empty, and then they actually got to interact with the resurrected and risen Jesus. A couple of weeks ago on Easter, we celebrated the resurrection. And today I want to come back to it. While we celebrated then, today what I want to do is focus on some of the evidence for the resurrection. Some of the compelling evidence that the resurrection is more than just an incredible story, though it is that, and that it is more than simply a legend that Christians developed. It is not that. I want to focus on evidence that will lead, I believe, an objective-minded person to conclude that the empty tomb and the resurrection are historical facts. One of the things that I want to impress upon us today is that you don't have to practice blind faith in order to believe in the empty tomb and the resurrection. You can keep your brain fully engaged. You can apply your critical thinking abilities, such as they are. You can... <laughs> you got it. All right. Uh, you can be a person of high intelligence... And there is enough evidence for the resurrection to convince a thinking, highly intelligent person. There really is. So let's begin by simply reading what happened. Accounts of the resurrection are in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've chosen the account from the Gospel of Matthew because that is... Uh, my favorite reading for the resurrection of Christ. It's found in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7. So I will read, and unless you uh, have your Bibles, you will not be able to follow along because of the screen. All right, here we go. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. That's one of my favorite parts of that account <laughs> that the angel points out, hey, he said he was going to do this and he did it. It happened just like he said it was going to happen. I, I, I love that part. So, um, so he goes on from there. 
and says, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. I'm going to go on and read a, a, th- a few more through verse 10. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So I think that we can agree that there are strange things that are happening here. Last week, we saw in our reading that there was an earthquake that accompanied the death of Jesus. And now we see that there is another earthquake that accompanied the resurrection of Jesus. A strange thing. There's the angel that looks like lightning and is white as snow. Not an everyday thing that human beings see. A strange occurrence. There's the stone to the tomb. It is a heavy stone. It has been sealed. It is rolled away now, even though it had been guarded by Roman soldiers. And then there are these these guards. They're guarding the tomb, and they see the angel, and they are so afraid at the occasion of the earthquake and the angel that we're told they shook and fell to the ground like dead men. A strange occurrence. And then there's the women, Mary and Mary, personally seeing, talking with, and touching the resurrected Jesus. These are all very strange things. The resurrection itself, the empty tomb, strange. It goes against our natural understanding of how things work. I've never seen a dead person raised to life. I've not seen it. I've never seen an occupied grave suddenly be unoccupied. Never seen that happen. My experience, your experience, tells us that when a person dies, they stay dead. But that's not what happened on the morning of the resurrection. And because this is so outside of our normal experience of life, For many people, it does not seem as though it's a credible story. They view it like any other cool story that's not actually true. And so they'll say things like, hey, you know, lessons can still be learned from the story, whether it's true or not. I mean, if you read a great work of fiction or you uh, watch a fictional movie, there are often great lessons that can be learned in those Uh, From those things, those works of art, even though they're not true, they're fictitious. And so people say this about the resurrection. They say inspiration can still be received from the story, whether or not it is actually true. And so for some people, and I'm just going to acknowledge, I I don't know if you're hearing this or not, but it sounds like a rumbling earthquake behind me. I'm guessing that our, you know, AC unit outside is about to uh, bite the dust or something. So there it is. I hear it. I think you all hear it. And now hopefully I acknowledged it and we can ignore it. (laughs) All right. So, So people say we can still receive inspiration from the story. 
And so this is what they do. They treat the resurrection and the empty tomb like they would treat any fictional story. They say it's meant to, to inspire us. It's meant to teach us a lesson. Uh, may, maybe meant to entertain us. But it's too strange, too incredible, too unbelievable to actually be true. And so this is a fairly common sentiment that people have about the resurrection of Jesus. Here's an important thing to consider, though. According to the Bible, this option is not actually available to us when it comes to the resurrection. We can't really take this position that, hey, this is a great story, whether it's true or not. We can't take the position that, hey, we can learn lessons and we can benefit from this. It really is irrelevant whether it actually happened or not. According to who I consider to be the most reliable source other than Christ himself, the Apostle Paul, that option simply is not available to us. According to the Apostle Paul, everything hinges on this story being true. According to the Apostle Paul, if this story is not true, there's no lesson to be learned. If it isn't true, there's no inspiration to be had. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19, the Apostle Paul articulates the importance of the resurrection and the empty tomb. And here's what he says about it. He says, if Christ, listen to this, it's incredible that this is in the Bible. If Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him from the dead if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, listen to this, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ. In other words, those who have already died who who thought that they belonged to him. Thought that their sins had been taken care of. Those people are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are to be pitied more than all men. In that passage, Paul articulates seven disastrous consequences if Jesus was not raised from the dead, if the tomb was not empty. Here they are. Christian preaching is in vain. Christian faith is in vain. Christians are false witnesses about God. Christian faith is futile. Christians are still in their sins. Christians who died thinking they were saved were not actually saved. And Christians are the most pitiful people on earth because they trusted in something, gave their lives to something that was not true. And so Paul puts it all on the line. If the resurrection didn't happen, if the tomb is not empty, then Christianity is false. It either happened... Or everything we're here today doing is false. A waste of time. Just another false religion giving people false hope. 
the resurrection really happened or Christianity is a fraud. The resurrection really happened or Christianity is a colossal waste of time. And here's something really great about Paul putting it in these terms. And this is something that I think is really helpful to those who have come to believe that having faith means you have to disengage your brain. Or that having faith means you have to blindly accept things without evidence. What's really great about this is that Paul is telling us that Christianity is not based on a subjective experience or on a subjective feeling. It's not based on that. It's not based on feelings. Now, subjective experiences are a part of the Christian faith. But belief in Christ and the resurrection is not based solely on a subjective experience or a feeling that it is true. It is based on objective evidence. And this makes Christianity unique among world religions. It is the only one that admits, that tells you straight up front, if what we're claiming to be true is not true, then we're a fraud. It's the only one that tells you that. Its entire existence and validity is tied to its claims being true. I want to be clear, subjective experience is a part of Christianity. When I sing praises to the Lord and I feel His presence, that is a wonderful experience. It is a validating experience. When I experience personally the presence of Christ, it tells me this is true. When I sense that God is speaking to me, that experience is impactful. I experience God in a personal way and it's a confirming experience of what I believe. When I'm driving down the road and some truth about Christ floods into my mind and I find myself getting emotional as I reflect on that, that emotional experience is good and important and it encourages my faith. But those experiences are subjective. I get emotional watching movies. I sometimes get a little tingle up my spine. From a non-Christian song. I get emotional when a large crowd gathers together and sings the Star-Spangled Banner. Or God Bless America. I turned 50 this year. Sometimes I get emotional for no known reason. Other than the turning 50 thing. I, I think that's part of it. The subjective experience is good. But all religions have subjective feelings and experiences. Christianity, Christianity alone ties its validity to a single event in human history being true. And for many people... When they are not experiencing the presence of God in a way that impacts them emotionally. When they're not feeling as though God is speaking to them. When the song singing doesn't bring the feeling of 
God's presence into their lives, when they go through what you would call a dark night of the soul, where it seems that the heavens are closed to them and God is nowhere to be found, if they hinged everything about their faith on their subjective experiences, in those times their faith can grow weak or their faith can even fail. And it's in those times when we need to know that our faith is objectively true if we're going to persevere. And there absolutely is ample evidence to persuade any fair-minded person that the foundational claim, the foundational truth of Christianity is objectively true. Our experiences are good, but our faith does not rest on our experiences. Our faith rests on objective truth. The empty tomb and the resurrection are true, so Christianity is true. And that's what I want to share over the next few minutes. Some of the compelling evidence for the resurrection and the empty tomb. Evidence that shows you don't have to accept it on blind faith. You can keep your brain fully engaged and come away persuaded that Jesus really did rise from the grave and that he really is alive today. Now I have to acknowledge that in the few minutes we have, we can barely scratch the surface for the evidence for the resurrection. A single article that I read this week listed 24 evidences uh, for the resurrection, and I don't have near that many points on the remainder of my outline. So we can't even cover the amount of ground that was covered in a single short article. Volumes are available on this topic. And so on the back of your outline today, I have listed some resources uh, that would be good information for you if you would like to dig deeper into this topic. I've listed four scholars whose work you should reference if you want to dig deeper into this topic. Uh, those are William Lane Craig, Gary Habermas, J.P. Moreland, and N.T. Wright. And then I've listed four books that you might want to get and read if you are interested in digging deeper. Uh, two are very well-known, very popular, uh, The Case for Easter and The Case for the Resurrection by Lee Strobel. Uh, Lee Strobel, if you don't know, is an investigative journalist who set out to disprove the resurrection and ended up becoming convinced that it was true. And he did that by interviewing scholars uh, on both sides of the issue, pro and con, and uh, arriving at the evidence as an investigative journalist does. Two other books, will, which I will admit I have not read, but I will I feel perfectly comfortable commending to you based on their reputation is The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus by Gary Habermas and Michael Lasona, and The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright. That last book alone is 740 pages, which is one reason I've not read it. <laughs> and uh, my point is, that's one book, 740 pages, we can barely scratch the surface here today. And then finally, I listed an article for you that I thought would be very helpful to you. I am actually uh, have used the article quite a bit in my preparation today. The article is Historical Evidence for the Resurrection by Matt Perman from DesiringGod.org. That's an easy one to find and look up, and it's a very helpful uh, article. So with those resources having been suggested, let's consider some of the compelling evidence 
for the empty tomb and the resurrection. Here's the first evidence. The tomb that Jesus was buried in after his crucifixion really was empty on Sunday morning. It really was. And here's one of the ways you know it was. No one at that time disputed that the tomb was empty. And here's something else you need to know. No serious scholar today will try to dispute that the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. And there are a number of evidences for this that take it beyond simply a claim that we must believe on blind faith. There are objective evidences that the tomb was empty. I want to share four of them today. There are more. Again, if you want to dig deeper, you can. But I want to share four today. And here's the first one. The earliest opponents of Christianity and the earliest arguments against Christianity all admitted that the tomb was empty. We know that the guards reported what had happened at the tomb. They reported it to the religious leaders. And the chief priest devised a plan to sow doubt and to discredit what had happened. And here was the plan that they came up with. Their plan was to tell people that the disciples of Jesus came during the night and stole the body of Jesus while the guards slept. Now, there are a number of problems with this story, such as the fact that all of these guards would not possibly have fallen asleep because to do so would have cost them their lives. Not to do their job correctly would have cost them their lives. They all would not have fallen asleep. It's a preposterous story. But what is most significant about this is that the religious leader's plan was to explain why the tomb was empty, not to claim that the tomb was not empty. It's an important point. They did not do that. They did not claim that the tomb wasn't empty because it in fact was empty and there was no disputing that. They had to come up with a story that explained the plainly observable facts. And so it's important and it's, it's significant that those who were most invested in silencing this story admitted the fact of the empty tomb. In addition to this, realize that the proclamation of the resurrection of Christ and the birth of the Christian church started in the city of Jerusalem, the very place where Jesus had been crucified and buried. Now we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, but that message would have exactly zero chance of gaining traction in Jerusalem if the tomb had not been empty. There's no way you can go around proclaiming an empty tomb and a resurrected Savior if the tomb's not empty. In the town where Jesus was buried, you just cannot do it. And so the Christian faith being founded on the proclamation that Christ had risen from the dead, and that proclamation beginning in Jerusalem, the tomb had to be empty or you cannot start off your faith with that particular proclamation. Here's another important evidence for the tomb being a historical fact. Jesus' tomb was never venerated as a shrine. It was never venerated as a shrine. Now, this is more compelling evidence than we might realize in 2019 because 
in the first century, it was a very customary practice to set up a shrine at the site of where a holy man's bones were, where a holy man was buried. And there were at least 50 such sites at the time of Jesus in the areas where Jesus lived and preached. But Jesus' burial place never became a shrine because his burial place was empty. He was not there. And here's a fourth one. This one's interesting. Evidence for the truthfulness of the report of the empty tomb exists and the fact that the empty tomb was first discovered and reported by women. This is going to be fun. <laughs> so why is this significant? Ladies, I'm sorry to tell you, but in the first century, your testimony was considered to be worthless because you were considered to be unreliable and worthless. Christianity, by the way, is the greatest force in the history of mankind for women, for the good of women, for the value of women. If anyone tells you differently, they know nothing. Here's how William Lane Craig explains this. If the empty tomb story were a legend then it is most likely that the male disciples would have been made the first to discover the empty tomb. The fact that despised women, whose testimony was deemed worthless, were the chief witnesses to the fact of the empty tomb can only be plausibly explained if, like it or not, they actually were the discoverers of the empty tomb. And so what this shows us is that the gospel writers have recorded exactly what happened. Not what they would have said happened if they were trying to spin the story in some particular way. And so what this tells us is that they were faithful reporters of all that happened. This truthfulness in reporting is just yet another evidence for the reliability of the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've only scratched the surface here today. But these four things, I think, already show us that believing does not require blind faith. You can evaluate, you can assess, you consider the evidence. And it tells you that the tomb was empty. And when all the evidence is considered, it is very clear that the empty tomb is factually true. The empty tomb is a historical fact. Of course, the empty tomb being a fact doesn't mean that Jesus is alive. It doesn't mean that. So, there's other evidence to consider. The fact that many people actually encountered the resurrected Jesus had real experiences with him, touched him, talked to him, ate with him, tells us that not only was the tomb empty, but it was empty because Jesus was alive. Each of the Gospels tells us of the risen Jesus interacting with people. When all the accounts are taken together, he interacted with many people, hundreds of people, over several different occasions. 
He interacted with a number of women who were his followers. He interacted with the remaining 11 disciples. We know what happened to Judas. He, He interacted with the remaining 11. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time and says clearly that many of those people were still alive at the time he was writing about it in 1 Corinthians. They were still alive. 1 Corinthians was written about 20 to 23 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And so what this means for us is that Paul simply could not have made a claim like that 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus if it wasn't true because those people were still around to say that Paul was making it up. His claim was verifiable. The people he referenced could still be talked to and say, yes, that's true. Jesus appeared to me. So not only was the tomb empty, but hundreds of people personally saw and interacted with the resurrected Jesus. Now, critics have tried to explain this away. They have tried to debunk this claim that many people personally interacted with the risen Christ. They largely have two arguments. The first is that it was all an elaborate lie to help get this new religion off the ground. The second is that all those who claimed to have seen Jesus were sincere, but delusional. Specifically, the hallucinations explain what they saw. But these are very weak arguments. Consider just a couple things that expose the weakness of it was a lie arguments. After Christ's resurrection, if you know the story... You know that his disciples were a discouraged and demoralized group. They weren't looking to start a religion. They weren't looking to uh, hatch an elaborate lie. They were wondering what in the world has just happened. And they were in hiding. Additionally, the disciples of Jesus did not initially believe that the resurrection had happened. They didn't believe it. Mark tells us that when Mary Magdalene reported the resurrection of the disciples, they did not believe. So what changed these people who don't believe, these people who are in hiding, these people who are demoralized, what changes them to people that now go out and proclaim that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive? It was only after they saw the evidence. Some of them believed when they saw the empty tomb, but for most of them, it took them encountering the resurrected Christ. And that's when they came to believe. The it was a lie argument is not convincing. The other common argument to explain away the interactions is to say that they imagined it. It resulted from some sort of altered state. Uh, Again, a uh, a common speculation is that it was a hallucination. You can't touch a hallucination. You can't touch that. People actually touched the resurrected Jesus. And here's one of the most compelling things against that. Um, I've never had one, but I'm told that hallucinations are highly individual experiences. Groups of people do not have the exact same hallucination. Eleven disciples did not all have the exact same hallucination. 
500 disciples do not share the same hallucination. It does not happen. It is impossible. It is a weak, weak argument. Not to mention the hallucination theory basically says that people wanted to see something so badly that they created it in their minds. And so a question we have to ask ourselves, did Paul, the persecutor of the Christian church, was he really like hoping so much to see the resurrected Christ that he created a hallucination when he encountered the risen Jesus? No. The hallucination theory is not tenable. With no motivation to lie, and with the hallucination theory being desperate and ridiculous, the logical conclusion is that all these people reported seeing the resurrected Christ because he really was risen, and they really did see him. The empty tomb is a historical fact. Many people had real experiences with the risen Christ. And the final thing we'll consider today which I have already referenced, is that Christianity would not have been proclaimed and established if the tomb was not empty. Christianity would not have gotten off the ground if the tomb wasn't empty, if Jesus wasn't alive. Again, we have to understand that there were people in Jerusalem, both religious leaders and political leaders, who were seriously motivated to squash the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. All of the enemies of Christ, uh, all that the enemies of Christ would have had to do was to produce the dead body of Jesus, drag it through the streets of Jerusalem, and Christianity would have been done before it ever got started. But they could not produce the dead body of Jesus because Jesus was not dead. He was and is alive. Here's another important evidence for the truthfulness of the resurrection. Ten of Jesus' disciples died as martyrs for proclaiming this message. And all of them were beaten, tortured, and imprisoned. Now here's something that is true. People will die for something that they believe is true even though it may be a lie. If they believe it to be true, they'll, they'll die for it. But here's something that we have to consider. People will not die for something that they know is a lie. They just won't do it. If the resurrection of Christ was a lie hatched by these disciples, if the disciples knew that, or they had any question in their mind that the story they proclaimed was true, they would not have endured torture. They would not have allowed themselves to die for something that they knew was a lie. If it was a lie, what's the chance that they could have even kept their story straight? They couldn't have. Chuck Colson, who was known as President Nixon's hatchet man, during the Watergate scandal, and who later came to faith in Jesus and gave the rest of his life to serving Christ, said this of his own belief in the resurrection. He wrote, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, 
Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep the lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years. It is absolutely impossible. When you take all of this together, the empty tomb is a historical fact. Hundreds of people saw and interacted with and touched the risen Christ. Christianity wouldn't have gotten off the ground if the tomb wasn't empty. And of course, I've said over and over, we've barely scratched the surface here today. But even with the little bit of ground that we've covered today, the little bit of evidence that we have covered today, we have enough already to know that you can keep your brain engaged, you can be a thinking person, you can be an intelligent person, and believe in the resurrection. Christianity does not ask you to believe against all odds. It does not ask you to believe against the evidence. What Christianity asks you to do is to consider the available evidence and make a decision. And the evidence, I believe, leads a fair-minded person to the conclusion that the tomb was empty because Jesus was and is alive. Now look, the subjective experiences that we have are wonderful and good aspects of our faith and our relationship with God. But belief in the resurrection isn't based on just having the subjective feeling that it's right. It is based on evidence. And the evidence that we have is objective and it is compelling. And here's one of the things that this means. If you've ever had any question about this, it means that even smart people can believe in Jesus. You know, Christians aren't portrayed as that bright these days. You may have noticed that in the, in the media. And so if you've had the impression that to be a Christian, to believe in the resurrection, you'd have to turn your brain off, lose a few IQ points, withdraw from Mensa, It's not true. It's not true. Christianity is the faith that makes sense. It makes sense. Because while those subjective experiences are part of it, the foundation of the faith is objective truth. An objective look at the evidence shows that it's all on the side of Jesus really rising from the grave and being alive. So don't let anybody tell you that it's a leap of faith, blind faith, it's a leap in the dark. It's not. It is where the evidence points. It's where the evidence points. Christianity is true because the tomb was and is empty and Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.